The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Understood, this, this gospel came into power and penetrated their hearts. And so they asked, what shall we do? Now the reason for that is because we're told in, in John chapter 10 that the Spirit is going to come and he is going to convict the heart of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's actually, that's actually uh, John, John 16. I misquoted the address. <laughs> In John 16, he says, It'd be, it's, it would be good for you if I go away, because if I go away, the Spirit will come. And he will convict the world, which means convince them of sin and righteousness and judgment. What is sin? Sin is simply ignoring God. It's living for myself instead of living for my creator. And so he says that the spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Of sin, he says, because they don't believe on me. And what that tells you is that what God considers the greatest sin of all is for us to refuse to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he sent into the world to die for us. Of sin and righteousness and judgment. He says of righteousness because I go to the Father. Why did he say that? What does he mean by that? Well, the way that men were convicted of righteousness when Jesus was here was Jesus. It was because of the way he lived. We're convicted by it. We go back and read the Gospels and we see the way he acted, the way he treated people, the way he responded to people, and it brings conviction to our hearts because we see someone who is absolutely righteous. But he's going back to the Father. And so the Spirit has come in order to bring conviction to the heart. And you see this happening in a couple of places in the Bible. Isaiah 6 is one where Isaiah is totally convicted by the truth that has come to him as he appears before God. And then we see it also in Acts 28 when men's hearts are convicted by the Holy Spirit. When the gospel comes in power, it pierces the hearts of sinners. And they realize that rejecting Christ is the ultimate sin. The ultimate sin isn't that... <clears throat> You bought too many cars. It's not that you have too, many, too much stuff. The ultimate sin is we reject Christ. He has called us to put our faith in Christ, to trust him, and he will reconcile us to God. Now, what that's all about is the story of the Bible is that God created us for a purpose. He created us to have a relationship with him. In fact, in John seventeen three, it says, this is the purpose of eternal life that they may know you, the true God, true and living God, and Jesus Christ whom sent, who he has sent. In other words, the reason that God's given us eternal life is so we can know him. In fact, that's the purpose of discipleship. A lot of you have heard about discipleship. The church is supposed to be making disciples of Jesus Christ. We're told in John 17, 3, that the purpose of that is so that we would come to know him, not know about him, but to know him. You know the difference, right? To know a person is to have a relationship. It's to know him relationally. We know what he's like. We know what it's like to, ha to walk in fellowship with God. That's the purpose of discipleship, is that we would grow to the place where we actually experience what it's like to have a relationship with God, to know that he is engaged in our life. And so Paul, when he talks about having full conviction, he means in, in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, it was that when we preached the gospel, we were fully convicted that this was the truth. And we needed to proclaim this message. Two primary words for preacher. A preacher is called 
I'll, I'll give you the Greek words. I know you're interested in that. The, the first word is kerux. And that was, a, that was the kind of preacher that fulfilled the orders of the leaders. It would be like with us of having somebody walk through our neighborhood and tell us what the governor of California is telling us to do, that we have to start doing. And I know I can tell by the look on your face, you wouldn't do it, would you? <laughs> but that's what a Kerux was. He was an announcer. He went and made announcement about what the leaders were going to do and what they should do in response. The other word is euangelistes, and that means it's a preacher of the gospel. The gospel means good news. Good news. This is good news. The good news about Jesus Christ. In fact, if you want to know what the good news is, all you have to do is to turn to, I don't do it now, but all you have to do is to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And what Paul does in the first six verses or so, he gives you the facts of the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is this, that he died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, in, in Isaiah 53, which is an Old Testament book, sounds like it doesn't, Isaiah 53, in Isaiah 53, which was written in 750 B.C. 750 B.C. In other words, 750 years before Christ appeared on the scene, Isaiah 53 was written. And in Isaiah 53 has the gospel in it. It's about what's going to happen in the future. That God's sending his son who's going to die for us and be buried and resurrected. And we are told there, it starts like this. Who has believed our message? He's asking a question. Have you believed the message that I have given you? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What he means by that expression, the arm of the Lord being revealed, is have you experienced the power of God through the gospel in your life? Has God brought you from where you were to where you are now in your relationship with him? That's what he's asking, because this is what the gospel does. It transforms us. It brings us into a living relationship with the living God who created us for his purpose. And that's why he created us in his image. Have you noticed that all the people, if they're healthy, they can talk and they can walk and they can communicate and they can have relationship with each other? Isn't that something? Because we were made in the image of God and God created us to have a relationship with him. But because of the fall, because of our movement away from him, he sent his son into the world to reconcile us and bring us back into a relationship with him so that we could come to have an experience that would reconcile us to him and we could live our lives out as fellowshippers of the living God. In fact, if you notice in this account, it says the first thing that happened after they believed on Christ is they began to have a community. They were formed into a community, and they begin to relate to each other. They begin to break bread together. That means take the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do this morning in a few minutes, and to share their meals together. That's table fellowship. Now, we don't, we don't use it the same way the first century Jews did, but when they talked about table fellowship, they were talking about the most intimate kind of, of fellowship with other people, when you share a meal with them. When somebody invites you to come to their home and share a meal with them, that's table fellowship. And it's what began to happen because they had been reconciled to God, and therefore they were reconciled with each other. Because if you remember Jesus, the very last command he gives his people is this. You shall love one another the way I have loved you. Well, how did he love us? Oh, he went to the cross and died on the cross for us. And so he says, that's the kind of love you're going to have with each other.
instead of it being a selfish kind of love, is maybe I can get something from you, some benefit from having a relationship with you, to the kind of relationship that's based on this is what I want to give you. I want to give you my heart. I want to give you whatever you need. That's what, that was his last command. And he said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. They'll know that you are followers of me in the way that you treat each other. The way that people know you're a Christian is not because you go to church, right? It's because you have a relationship with the living God. Now, we gather together as a church as a result of our being re- reunited to God because we want to be together. We want to share our lives with each other. And so we come together and worship the one true and living God. So the gospel, first of all, when it comes in power, it pierces the hearts of sinners. It causes them to see the truth about who Christ is. It's supernatural. It's not something that I can do. It's not something you can do. It's not something that any preacher can do. It's something that the Spirit of God does and Jesus Christ does. In fact, I want to show you something. This is fascinating to me. The very last chapter of Mark, the gospel of Mark, if you can... Turn over there to Mark. It's just back a little ways. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's the second of the Gospels. Mark, the very last chapter is chapter 16. And in chapter 16, the last two verses that appear in your translation says this, probably, I should say. It says, so then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, this is right at the time of his ascension to the Father. He'd been raised from the dead. Now he's going to be ascended back to the Father. And it says, so then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. He sits in this place of total authority. But listen to this. And they went out and preached everywhere. He's talking about what happened to the apostles. After Jesus appeared to them, they were dumbfounded. They, couldn't be- they, they did believe it. They began to preach it. That Jesus had been raised from the dead. Can you imagine what people would think of you if you went out and told them that some relative you had that just died was raised from the dead? They would think you were crazy, wouldn't they? And when they began to proclaim this truth that Jesus had been raised from the dead, some people did think they were crazy and accused them of that. But it says this is what happened. They went out and preached everywhere this gospel, this good news about Jesus Christ. While, get this, while the Lord worked with them, Jesus Christ worked with them as they took the gospel out and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. In other words, by what he did as a result of that gospel in people's hearts, people came to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, and it validated the fact that the message they preached was truly the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and it changed lives. If you were to write down on a piece of paper, this, is, this is, has been the effect of the gospel in my heart. I believe the gospel, whatever it was, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and this is what's happened in my life. I remember being baptized. I was baptized in a church right down the road here. I, we didn't, I never lived out here, but we went to a church, and uh, they didn't have a baptistry, so they came out to Brentwood, and this church over on in Oakley, they, they let us use their baptistry. And I still remember that. I was 14 years old, and I remember being baptized by my uncle who pastored a church in Antioch. And when he baptized me, he immersed me, and he asked me a question. He asked me several questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that when he died for your sins, that your sins were paid for, and that because of that, you can be reconciled to God? Yes. 
And he says, therefore, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he lowered me into the water. And then he raised me up. And when he raised me up, I had, my hair was kind of long. Not real long, but just kind of long. It wasn't just weighed down over my neck. So when I came up out of the water, what I would always have to do when I got wet, I'd have to shake all that water off me. And so I did. And I, I just sprayed my uncle. And everybody started laughing. I didn't know why. And I turned around and looked at him, and he's just sopping wet from me clearing the water from my hair. But I tell you, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because my life completely changed. I began to realize I was a follower of Jesus. And it changed everything. It changed my attitude about the way I treated people and the things that I did because I was a follower of Jesus Christ. The second thing that, this, that, the, power, that the gospel does when it comes in power is it boldens the mouths of preachers. Now, we have that in verses 38 through 40. I don't know if I'm going to read the whole thing to you, but listen to this, verse, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. As many as the Lord our God shall call to himself will respond to the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? You know, Jesus one time was talking to some people, and some of them rejected him. And he says, you don't, you don't come to me because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And that's what happened to you when you got saved, when you came to faith in Christ, is you heard the voice of Jesus Christ coming through the message, and you, because you were a sheep, you responded to that call. He called you to himself to put your faith in him. That's something we can't do. All we can do is say, Jesus Christ is calling you today through the gospel, and he wants you to put your faith in him. He wants you to come to believe the truth that has been revealed to us through his word and put your faith in him. And when you do, he will bring you into a right relationship with God. And this is what happened. It emboldens these preachers to say this very thing. Now, these people that he's preaching to are going to be the ones who crucified Jesus, or had crucified Jesus already. That's even worse, isn't it? He's preaching to this crowd of people, and they were the ones who had been yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And here he is preaching to them, telling them if they repent and believe on Christ, they'll have eternal life. That's a lot of guts, isn't it? I mean, they really had a, he had a lot of, uh, this is Peter the apostle. You know, he's the guy who was such a coward that he denied Christ three times. Remember that? And yet now he's preaching with power. What is it? Well, it's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the spirit and the power of Jesus Christ being proclaimed to these people. And 3,000 of them come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So this, to be a preacher of the gospel is to be someone who proclaims the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is a savior. And all who come to him and believe upon him will have their sins forgiven and will be reconciled to the God who created them for a relationship with him. That's what you were made for. You were made for a relationship with him. And when we put our faith in Christ, that's exactly what happens. And so he gives this, this divine command in, in verse 38, the first part of verse 38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You say, well, what, 
What's baptism all about? Well, it's a picture of the fact that we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ, by what he did for us. Now, it's called the blood of Christ, because, not because we're cannibals. It, it's called the blood of Christ because his blood was shed, which means, and this was the, this was the, the impact of, the, of having your blood shed, it means you died a violent death under the judgment. Jesus Christ died and his blood was shed. It was a very bloody scene. Some of you have seen The Passion of Christ, the movie, and, and it's, it's shocking, isn't it? That's what happened to him. It wasn't just that he died. He was, he was only 36 years old, probably, 35 years old, maybe 33 years old. We don't know for sure. But the fact is he didn't die of old age. He didn't die of uh, some sickness, some disease. He died under the judgment of God in our place. So what they're telling them is, they communicate to him this divine command that God is telling you to repent, to change your mind about Jesus Christ. Believe on him. Secondly, he communicates a divine promise, salvation through the Spirit who applies the crosswork of Jesus Christ when we believe. And then he presses for a response. What was crooked or twisted about this nation? He tells them they were twisted and crooked is that Jesus called them unbelieving, perverted, evil, adulterous, and sinful nation. These people had the truth of the gospel in their very Bible. The Torah, when, when they opened the Jewish Bible, what they saw in Isaiah, one of the prophets, Isaiah 53, was exactly what happened to Jesus on the cross. I had a Jewish man tell me one time, he says, you know, I was reading through my Bible, my Jewish Bible, and I ran under this Isaiah 53, and I wondered, what is Jesus doing in my Jewish Bible? It was a prophecy, and it was fulfilled exactly as it was given. Jesus' blood was shed for us. He died a violent death under judgment, under the judgment of God for us, so that we could be set free. We could be forgiven. The third thing that it does is it reaches the ears of Jesus' sheep. This, in verse 41 and 42, he says, So then those who had received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. That was an amazing day, wasn't it? 3,000 people. I have never seen 3,000 people be saved of you. I've never seen that. That was amazing. 3,000 people turned to Christ, put their faith in him, and they baptized 3,000 people. These, I bet they were tired, these apostles. Baptized this entire group, and they became followers of Jesus. And you know what? We're here, sitting here today in this room, and this is the gospel, and if you believe this gospel you can enter into a living relationship with Jesus Christ and be reconciled to the God of the universe who created you for himself. That's what this text tells us. It reaches the ears of lost sheep. In John 10, this is what Jesus said when he's talking to these people who were listening to him, but they were resisting him. And he says, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one thing. Why would he say something like that? You know, if I said that, somebody, please don't let her know this, but somebody said to me this morning, where's the birthday girl? And I said, who? She said, your wife, it's her birthday. And I thought, oh my goodness, what have I done? I've committed the, the ultimate crime, haven't I? I forgot her birthday. I just remember it was the anniversary of the church and I forgot it was her birthday. I don't think we started on her birthday, but it was around that time. That's something I should have never forgotten. Well, what happens is when the gospel goes out and the ears of people who are his sheep, that is that God has given them to him to be recipients of this eternal life, they will hear. They will hear. You can have two people sitting right next to each other, and one of them hears the gospel appeal. They understand it. They put their faith in Christ, and the person next to them, they have a deaf ear to it. Why is that? Because the power of the gospel comes through Christ and through the Holy Spirit. This is how we receive the word, and this is what happened to them. They received the word. They obeyed the command. They followed the shepherd, listening to his voice. They were doing exactly what he said. And then corporate life began. People began to live their lives in fellowship with each other. They began to break bread together and have table fellowship. This is breaking bread. And all of this is us remembering the fact that the way we got here, the way that we came to be brothers and sisters in Christ was through the work of Jesus Christ who laid down his life. And so we have a loaf which represents his body and a cup of the fruit of the of grape, which it tells us is a it is pointing to his blood, his shed blood. He, he shed his blood for us. And we remember, this is how we came to be in this blessed state of being children of God, followers of Jesus Christ. So, now think of this. This is the way the gospel was given here on the, the very first time that the gospel was proclaimed publicly by the followers of Christ. This was right after the resurrection. Then it was verbal only. They were just speaking. There was no New Testament. I'm holding a New Testament up here, and you have a New Testament in your lap, probably. But there, this message was only verbal. They heard the disciples. They heard Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, preach the gospel, this message of good news and salvation in Christ alone. They listened intently. They hungered deeply, and they shared enthusiastically. Today, we have not only verbal proclamation, but we have a, a word. We have a written word, the word of God. And so we look into this word of God, and we can find this gospel message everywhere. Especially, I want you to remember that passage, 1 Corinthians 15. First few verses of that chapter, it tells you what the gospel is. Because we need to understand the gospel. God wants you to understand it so that you will believe it and experience the glorious benefits of it. Now, there's a danger and advantage in our situation because we have it not only being spoken. It isn't just that you can hear the gospel being preached. You can turn your TV on or your computer on, something like that, and you can hear somebody preaching the gospel. But today we also have it written. So in my own private study, I can go to the word of God and listen to what God has said. I can hear what Peter told these people. It's good and it's bad. It's an advantage and a danger. It's always available. And that's why we, we can take it for granted. There's no hurry here. I've been listening to this gospel for 25 years. What's the hurry? We have the one-minute Bible. 
which is a little Bible that says you can, you can read one minute a day. Would you be willing to give one minute a day? They think you would, but I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if the people who bought a one-minute Bible never opened it. It might take them 32 seconds. We now have the Word of God. And so it is an advantage, but it's also a disadvantage because we can always think, well, there's always time. I can go back and look at this. The gospel, let me tell you, the gospel isn't the message. Uh, you better get your act together. That's not the gospel. I mean that in, in very sincerely. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, and you ought to get your life straightened out. You ought to start going to church. You ought to start doing right. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, this is what God has done through Jesus Christ, and he wants you to be aware of it. He sent his son into the world to stand in your place. And if you remember on the night, he, the night he was, the day he was created, that he was crucified, there was a moment there on the cross. As Jesus was on the cross, he said, Lama Sabachthani, Eloi, Eloi, which means my God, my God, Lama Sabachthani. This is in Aramaic, and it means, why have you forsaken me? Now, there's a famous poem that was written based upon that, those words. I wish I could remember who wrote, who wrote that poem. I might have it here somewhere. <laughs> but the thing was, it, what she said was, what you're hearing is an orphan cry. He's been abandoned. Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross, dying for our sins, and he has been abandoned. And he says to the Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me alone in this situation? And the, re and the reason, of course, is because he was dying for our sins. He took our place. And he suffered exactly what we should have suffered. And so the gospel isn't, you better get your act together. The gospel is God wants you to receive a gift that you don't deserve and you desperately need. In order to receive it, you have to repent and believe. All repent means, it doesn't mean that you beat your chest and say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. That's not repentance. Repentance is changing your mind and saying, Father, God, I want to serve you. I want to know you. I want to come to know you. That's what I was made for. And we change our attitude and we turn to him. That's repentance. Back in Isaiah 53, when it's at the very beginning of Isaiah 53, it says, who has believed what, we, what they have heard, what we have made them hear? We've brought them a message. Who has heard it? Has anybody listened to it? And then he says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What that means is, the arm of the Lord being revealed to you is, have you experienced the delivering power of God? Have you received by faith the Lord Jesus Christ and experienced this incredible deliverance that he brings into our lives? That's what he's asking. And so when Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's telling us that he has accomplished his purpose. He has stood in our place and he suffered the very sin. He suffered the very punishment that we should have. We should have been separated from God. But instead, God has called us through his son. And when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive eternal life. Both the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ are the ones who bring the gospel in power. I could stand up here 365 days a year and try my best to preach the gospel, but if the Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus Christ are not a part of that, it will produce nothing, 
absolutely nothing. God wants to produce something in you that's more than glorious. The Bible tells us when we receive Christ and we, we, we experience the, the Spirit coming to live within us, we experience joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's what Peter says. Joy inexpressible and full of glory. The people here who look very subdued, if you were to ask them, so what was it like when you put your faith in Christ? What, did, what was the experience like? It'd be great to hear them tell you what it is. It's the most glorious experience of all of life. I'm alive to God. I'm dead to sin, and I'm alive to God. I can stop presenting myself to sin as my slave master, and I can present myself to God, who, to whom I have been made alive. And I just want you to know, no matter who you are, you're here this morning, you've heard about this gospel coming in power. I want you to know if the Spirit of God brings it in power into your life, and you believe on him, it will be the most life-changing experience you have ever had. He will bring you into his very presence and make you one of his own, and your life will totally change, completely. And that's what he wants to do in your life. So let me pray. I'm just going to ask him for that. Bow your heads with me. Father, we come before you now as people who need you to do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. We pray that the Holy Spirit would come in power and open our eyes Help us, O oh Father, we pray, to understand this glorious gospel and to put our faith in Jesus Christ. We pray for everyone who's here. If this is the first time they've ever heard the message of Christ, we pray that we'd be plain and clear to them and they would turn to him and believe and receive by faith this glorious gift that you have given to us. We want to see many, many others come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive this eternal life, this glorious life that we have experienced. We thank you for that, and we, we lay that before you today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.